Kripoor. My guest today is Roger. I know we've only talked in person a couple of times, but we've had sort of a, a messaging thing going on because we both write. You have been very nice <laughs> about reading my writing. And the few times I've gotten a chance to read your writing, it's, it's always wonderful to read. So it's, it's a nice oh, little you. connection to have with somebody. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your photography. I know sure. that the first time that we met, you were talking to me about it. You even showed me um, a few of your photos. So how did you get into doing that? I know it's not your it's not your career per se, but it right. is something that you're interested in. I got into it a long time ago through a meetup kind of situation. I was going to this meetup in New York called Polish Happy Hour. Okay. Wait, Polish pause, Happy pause, pause, pause. Are you Polish? Okay. I am not. Um, oh. <laughs> I just have numerous Polish friends and acquaintances. Okay. I, I had yeah. some coworkers that were Polish and through them, I met other individuals and they actually became, that group became like my main social group for, okay. for quite some time. So I won't get into all the drama here, but uh, we kind of, migrated away from Polish happy hour at some point and a friend of mine Anna had created uh this other splinter group or or you know side group called Euro Nation and it's very it's it's important to pronounce that carefully because people have made fun of the <laughs> pronounce Euro Nation if you say it too quickly so yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you yeah, got that, that I got right? that <laughs> so Basically, Polish Happy Hour, we felt, had grown very large, and it was more of a, like a nightclub type scene rather than oh. in the beginning when we started going. It was more low-key, fewer mm -hmm. individuals. Everybody had an opportunity to really talk to each other and yeah. in more of like a, a lounge type setting where we could right. hear each other, right? So, so that's what Euro Nation was kind of patterned after, right, to, to reduce the scale, right? I've been a lot of the same people and everything. Anyway, my friend, she realized we, we needed to promote it. Even though we had a, a core group, we wanted to get other individuals to, to come as well. Because, you know, in the beginning, there were only a few people coming. And we just wanted to put something on Facebook and on meetup.com and get photos. So I happened to have, my mother actually at the time had a really nice camera. She was really into photography, like going back to when I was a child. That was still while I was living on Santa with my folks. And I asked her if I could How old are you it. in this scenario? Well... In that scenario, I think I was somewhere in my mid-20s. So I had asked her if I could borrow it. You know, she had no problem with that, but I had no particular skill. It wasn't like I was uninterested in it, but I, I never had like a, a burning passion for photography at this mm -hmm. point. So I borrowed the camera, kind of more of like a utility thing. We needed the photos, right. so I went around taking the photos. Um, I think this was our third month then that I started doing that. And more and more people started coming. You know, we were posting the photos. I got a lot of good feedback about the photos. Mm. Um, I wasn't doing any editing. It was just straight out of the camera, you know, yeah. shoot and post kind of stuff. I mean, I would get them up like literally an hour after I got home right. from the thing or, or even the next day in some cases, but pretty, pretty quickly. And uh, people loved them, right? Or they, at least they liked them and they told me they yeah. really liked the photos. So various women would also come to these meetups. Many of them either were aspiring actresses or models or had always wanted to do something like that. So many had asked me, uh, would you be interested in taking some photos here and there? And uh, I did. I, I accommodated. And, you know, it was always just trade type stuff, right? Um, I, I didn't have any business. It wasn't like a business yeah. um, thing for me. But uh, yeah, they liked them and that led to me posting them and kind of making my own online persona with that. And I was more word of mouth kind of guy anyway at that point in time. But yeah, that's how it started. I, I really just, it was kind of a random 
thing. We needed a photographer. And then I filled that role and, and I found an interest in it. And I saw mm. people said that I had some skill in it and kind of blossomed from there. I often find with photographers, there's two different categories, right? Like there's people mm-hmm. who like taking pictures of people and then people who like taking architectural photos. I don't know, maybe you you take photos of kind of everything now, but it sounds like you really enjoy taking pictures of people. Definitely agree with your your um, observation. I, I found that most photographers I've interacted with tend to mm-hmm. fall in one of those two camps as well. Yeah. I fell into obviously the the portraiture, glamour type stuff. You know, I've always been interested in fashion too. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I, I know much about it, but, uh, wow. you know, I, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely interested in that. And, it, and, you know, while I didn't have a particular philosophy about photography going into it, I came to realize that to me, and I think this is always a part of my personal philosophy, but, you know, to me, what's, what matters the most is people, other people. And, and, you know, I think everybody has some beauty to them. There's a uniqueness to, to everyone in some way, right? right. And I, I liked bringing that out. And I think that's something that I discovered as a part of getting into this kind of social photography type, this like meeting and events right. uh, type photography. I, I do sometimes go out and take some landscape photos. Yeah. And like when I'm on vacation, I, I like to snap photos. But I actually don't even feel like I need to have my, my full-size camera for that. Like I'm fine just Either going wrong, to... Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. But for people, like I want to capture their depth, their emotion, their their beauty, whatever, right? I mean, to me, there's... There's such a depth there. I'm not besmirching any particular landscape or locale, but that's just a a thing, right? It's scenery Mm -hmm. to me, whereas people are are what makes life interesting. It's what spices up reality for each other. I I like to capture that. Were you always that way? Even before you were taking photos of people, did you always feel that way about people? You know, I've tried to, through introspection, try to see if I kind of remember if I felt that way in my childhood and yeah, I, I actually do think so. I don't know if I can corroborate that, but, but I, and maybe it's just coloring the, the past memories for me yeah. now that I feel that way now. I, I do feel like that, but I, I can't really, I couldn't really tell you with all any degree of honesty if that's really the case. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to take photos also, but I, I usually gravitate towards taking pictures of places and things. I think part of the reason is because I find it very difficult to capture people in the way that I wish I could. It's got to be such an interesting skill because you're not just capturing, like you said, like you're not just capturing a thing. It's, it's really capturing an essence. And I, I've never really quite been able to do that. I've tried to like sneakily take pictures of people like on the subway or the street or something, right? And afterwards I look at them like, damn it. <laughs> I totally <laughs> didn't capture it. So when you take a picture, maybe it's like how some people describe what they do if they're good at it. It's not like they're Mm -hmm. trying to do it. It's much more intuitive. Like, do you have to really kind of focus? I mean, and obviously in photo shoots, there's a lot more work. But like at these events, for example, was it you just kind of felt the moment and would capture it? And what you hope to capture would be captured? Or was it more involved than that? I, I would say I consider myself very intuitive and I kind of yeah. move around in intuitive yeah. nature in, in that kind of way. So yeah, it's more like trying to capture rather than say 
propel things in a certain direction or like when I do a photo shoot, obviously a part of my job is to try to get what I'm looking for if I have a particular vision in mind. And also if the model, obviously I've collaborated in an academic kind of sense uh, with the the models and makeup artists and try to capture what they are also looking for. So sometimes you have to try to elicit that, you know, through posing or pose suggestions, but I gravitate more towards kind of free form, unplanned, in the moment, I like to heavily rely on the model to come up with her own expression of herself, right? And I like to capture that because again, it comes back to my philosophy of trying to capture the inner beauty. I don't want to manufacture anything. Right. I'm not trying to manufacture specific looks or poses or anything. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a, there's a part of trying to capture specific poses and looks inside that. So it's hard to really distinguish the manufacturing versus trying to elicit a realistic reflection of how the model sees herself. That might have sounded like, like nonsense, but I just like to try to capture what is there and try to show up, showcase mm-hmm. the beauty that's inherent in the person and the situation. Right. Like for me, when I do a shoot, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just subject, me, photographer. I like to create a, you know, a connection with right. the model, you know, and, and the makeup artist and anybody else that's sure. involved in the shoot too. And I think... I think that's part of what drew me to it, right? And I think that may be in part because of how I came into photography. Again, it was in a social setting. Uh, I really enjoyed the social aspect of it, you know, that I'm a, I consider myself a people person. And I like those situations. I like kind of trying to get into somebody's brain and what they are looking for and try to try to get that out of them, you know? So it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, I mean, I hope that answers the question for the most part. I've really only been on the other side of the camera when I, when I've done the photo shoots and like I, I've modeled for people before, I mean, most of these people were just hacks. Right. But the few that I met that I would consider like legit, it, they right. do sort of like what you said, you establish a connection. It's not just about making the model comfortable, but it's really about bringing out their natural, whatever it is, their persona, their, their character, everything. And it's about capturing that. Yes. You want a specific pose maybe. And you want to capture, you know, a certain thing in certain lighting, but ultimately right. at the end of the day, it's about capturing the person. So that was always a marker in my mind of a real photographer versus, you know, somebody <laughs> who's just trying to get laid or something. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. There, it, it is part of tough, like... Yeah, it's a tough industry. They have, you know, uh, what is it? Guy with camera, DWC. There's oh so many God. of those. So people that are using sites like Model Mayhem totally inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of toxicity in the industry. I mean, a couple of years ago, I think it was, there was a whole blacklist going around. Uh, photographers were, were on this list. Uh, wow. you know, known. It's like that broken step kind of concept. Like all, all these photographers were known to display very toxic behavior, you know, yeah. come on to the models just do all these negative things. And the person who was posting this anonymously got threatened and it came down and everything. But I mean, I've known, I I knew some of these photographers. I've interacted in some way with a couple of them or at least seen them interact within circles that I interact in or did interact in at that point in time. And yeah, you have to be careful. I mean, I hear, I heard a lot of stories to me. And I always say this on a shoot, it should be a safe space. It should be comfort. 
you know, it's comfortable for everybody. I mean, I've been in scenarios where it's, it wasn't totally comfortable in the other direction. You know, I actually, that's part of what led me to take a little bit of a hiatus from photography. Was it like a specific thing that happened that made you take a break? Or was it just in general, you were kind of, you needed to take a step back? Yeah, I mean, I, I did have a couple of experiences that were a little weird. Yeah. And they made me question moving forward with photography. And, and there were other reasons, so I'm not going to blame it only on that. I mean, oh, the thing yeah. is, I like taking the photos. I love composing. I love, I love having the photo shoot. But the post-production, there's an expectation that you're also a Photoshop wizard if you're a photographer. Right. I mean, obviously they have retouchers. You can always use them if you have the money to do that. But you know, I think there is an expectation that you, you're a Photoshop wizard or you spend the time doing that. And that was not my favorite when I was not a digital graphic producer or anything like that. And Photoshop is really complicated to do certain things that certain yeah. models want or, you know, that the industry expects. So I, I'm also a very, I like natural. I was going to say, like it doesn't sound like yeah. Photoshop is your kind of vibe. Yeah, I, I like natural looks, but I, maybe there were some miscommunications in certain shoots that I did where they expected yeah. to do magic with certain things. And, you know, that is not what I felt we had discussed earlier. It came as a little bit of a shock and mm. it kind of just added up. And, and you know how life is, right? Sometimes yeah. things come in waves. Things just pile up. Maybe those kind of situations doled out over a longer time frame, then it wouldn't have hit me so hard. But a couple of things happened at the same I time. See. And I was just like, yeah. oh, you know, I got to step away from this. And how long ago was that? Well, it was pre-COVID, sometime in 2019. So what do you do to fill that void that maybe not doing photography has left? Has it left a void? My writing has increased significantly because of of that. Rather than sit and struggle with a a particular photo, work on a particular photo for three or four Mm -hmm. hours, writing, but also cooking. I'm never going to be like a top chef or anything like that. No, Exactly. It's an enjoyable thing. And I think it's also creative, right? I think Mm -hmm. that I also realized that I don't want to sit there for four hours working on a particular photo, but I will sit there and spend two, three, four hours cooking something complex. Like I'm really interested in that. I love it. Yeah. Do you have a particular yeah. cuisine that you like? Not really. Um, I, I've gotten some people that I need to mix more vegetables into my cuisine um, because so, so I will be doing that soon. But I don't have a particular like style or ethnic ethnic kind of cuisine or anything. I'm open to anything. So in terms of your writing, I mean, I, I, I write and I and I do photo, photography just like as a hobby. I enjoy both of them, but they sort of mm-hmm. satisfy very different needs for me. I really enjoy editing photos. It's just such a, a zen thing for me. It really focuses right. me. And if I feel stressed out, it's just a good way to sort of tune everything else out and focus on a photo and that's it. I find it interesting that you enjoy both so much and that writing has even sort of taken over what photography was given you. Because writing for me, it's it satisfies something very different. So when it comes to your writing, why was that the natural thing to take over where photography left off? What does writing give you that photography gave you? Is it the same thing or is it different? So, uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this before. Not in a like, what if Elaine asked me this question? <laughs> but more, more of like, a, I don't know. I just had a lot of random thoughts today. And I thought about this particular thing. Yeah. The thing is, I have so many interests. Like, I suffer from, I don't know if there's a word for it, but like too much interest, too too many diverse interest syndrome. And that's a mouthful. And I don't think that's the, the, the right phrase. I'm sure there is something for that. Yeah. But um, I feel like I'm always, my brain and my, it's always competing for my own attention on certain things I'd love to do. Like, okay. I have a specific goal to write a book. That's always been a lifelong dream of mine. And 
I feel like even though it was a smallish book, I actually accomplished that last year, you know, with the, uh, to say you and I both joined. Honestly, I don't even care if I, if I get long-listed, short-listed win. I didn't do it for that reason. Yes, I would love that. Getting that validation would be great. And, and I didn't do it to tick a box either. It's just that that is something I wanted to do, right? Any creative pursuit is really about, mm, how do I put this? I want to enrich my own life and I want to enrich others' lives, right? And I feel like novelization, like creating a, a novel, writing is a good medium for that. I don't really crave that validation, but at the same time, I like to know that something I wrote touched somebody or yes. something. And I feel the same way. In that respect, it's very similar to the photography. It, it. it comes back to that concept of bringing that beauty out, not just for for me and not even just for the model, but sharing that with somebody else, sharing my perspective and having it either understood or appreciated. That is something that I, I strive for. I don't necessarily have a specific thing to say either. I just really want to create an experience that I want to share. I want, I want to enrich other people. And it, whether it's cooking, photography, right. writing, actually all those things can fill that, that same void or, or do that, right. fulfill that same purpose, you know? I feel terrible for forgetting that. You reminded me that it's, it's not about validation. It's not about doing something to give yourself something. It's about sharing something to either connect with someone or give someone else an experience or make them think about something. I've definitely struggled, especially with writing, to not make it about myself and what I need. I think mm -hmm. maybe I was having trouble because I was really trying to do it as like a career. And so... Mm -hmm submitting stuff to magazines or, or contests or competitions and getting rejected. It just put me in this mind space. Like I needed to know that I'm good enough to keep going, but it right. sounds like, are you able to sort of compartmentalize and push that to the side? Because if you are, I need to know your secrets. <laughs> First of all, I just want to come back to one thing you said. I don't think there's anything wrong with, I don't want to use the phrase seeking validation because I don't think that's what you're saying. But I, I think there's nothing wrong with wanting that. It's such a human right. thing. And I'm not saying that I am not somebody that doesn't like validation. And certainly I, I seek that in certain respects of my life. And certainly I want people that, especially certain people, I would love to read certain things that I write and, and like yeah. it. The masses is one thing. Certain individuals that I care about, that's yeah. a different situation, right? So there's nothing wrong with that in any way, shape, or form. But to the point of compartmentalizing, for me, and, and I think this is a little bit of a difference maybe in how we approach our creative pursuits, I never really, at least not at this point in my life, right now, I just turned 41, and I've really gotten back into these creative pursuits in, in a serious way over the last couple of years. So for me, I'm at the point where I'm going to keep my nine to five career. I'm very unlikely to shift completely from that into creative pursuit unless something magical happens. Like maybe this three day novel contest, you know, I, I win and, and I become like the, right. the poet laureate of, of, of the universe. <laughs> or something. Un unlikely, right? But that's basically what would have to happen for me to quit my career, my nine to five, which has nothing absolutely to do with writing or creative stuff at all. I mean, well, I try to twist it mentally into a creative. Oh, of course. Life. You know, like I do some report writing and create like financial reports. You know, it doesn't sound very interesting from a creative perspective, but I delude I myself into thinking that it is. So, and that works for me. So... So the thing, <laughs> thing is, though, I can compartmentalize because I always know that's there and that's not going to go away. And, yeah. and I, I am ambitious in that respect as well, right? Mm -hmm. I have a completely separate ambitious track for my nine to five-esque 
career, right? right? I don't want to just do the same thing there the rest of my life either. I want to grow in that respect as well. So for me, that's like me patronizing my own art, basically, with my <laughs> nine to five. You know, like I'm funding my oh, yeah. artist with that, you know? Yeah. It's a funny thing. Like we were doing this opera in college, uh, Marriage of Figaro, and we read the, because it, it's based off of a play, actually, a, a trilogy of plays. And the guy who wrote it, Beaumarchais, he must have had like 20 jobs in his lifetime, like in between being in and out of jail for like, you know, causing revolts and stuff. He was, he was doing a million different things. And so I try to keep that in mind sometimes because I said this in the other episodes, how I'm very idealistic. And so I guess I maybe get caught up in like the idea of achieving like this grand artistic success. And that's going to be the thing to like latch on to and that will make me feel whole. But you like you look at so many other successful artists like throughout history and they've had a, like a dozen different jobs like they've worked in mail rooms they've gone through all these different types of things to make money they just also happen to be a very talented writer musician composer whatever it is and so i've been thinking about that more now just because it's important for me to remember like it doesn't have to be this defining thing it could just be like a thing that you have and then life kind of happens around it and it all kind of yep. connects at the end of the day. It's hard sometimes. It's hard when you're really passionate about something. But I'm glad that you're able to compartmentalize because it can be, from my experience, it can be a real detriment to your passion. Like it could make you even want to not do it anymore just because you haven't succeeded at achieving this idea in your head. But it doesn't have to be that. It could just be a part of yeah. you. I definitely think part of my philosophy comes from, or my ability or, mm -hmm. or thinking that you can compartmentalize yeah. comes from my father because my father, he, he worked for like 35, 40 years at the post office. And if he ever listens to this, they'll probably kill me for not remembering, you know, how long, but not, not really. He's, <laughs> he's not even, but, uh, you know, like between 30 and 40 years, I think, you know, but he's yeah. never his passion. You know, I, I respect him highly for sticking to that career that he never had any passion for because he was always interested in writing. He was always interested in creative oh, he pursuits. Too? He, yeah, he, he's he's a writer and he's uh he's a musician as well or wants to wants to wants to do that, has wanted to do that. He's created entire you know, songs and, and albums and things like that. Like that's something I that's another one of my interests. I would love to learn how to play the guitar and actually he bought me a guitar uh for Christmas, I think it was last year. Oh. I still haven't spend the time to learn it but um that's, that's one of the things i want to do yeah as an example right we, we learn and we see and we we get things from our parents and yeah. his ability to compartmentalize he, he actually created a whole board game it hasn't been published i i still think he should like literally we played it as a start to finish playable board game and what? that's a huge accomplishment i mean it yeah. took him a long time but he did it he made dust it off and wow. perhaps uh upgraded or you know, modernize it a little bit. And because I'm, I'm also, also programming skills. So we were talking about digitizing it and maybe trying to yeah. go out that way. But yeah, he's like the ultimate, he was able to compartmentalize like his career and then his creative pursuits. And I think a lot of how I have developed the same kind of thinking is from that. I don't think I even thought about that outside of the context of this, like before this conversation. So thank no, you. Yeah, you brought that out of me. Like, <laughs> did you, did you notice this growing up? But I mean, it, it's hard, right? Like you don't necessarily see your parents in, I guess, a, a broader way until you're older. Right. So what about what about your mom? My mom, mother was also very creative. So, so my mother passed away about 10 years ago, uh -huh. uh, but she also had artistically creative. She, she was also 
interested in writing and and she used to write a lot she used to i think she even i don't think she edited the whole thing but she did provide art for like our local churches bulletins we've always been a creative oriented family like my sister has always wanted to do script writing and things like that like we've always been immersed in all of that together so yeah yeah it sounds like you all utilize it in some way Mm -hmm. absolutely because most people I meet who are not in creative industries, they might have hobbies where their creative side can come out. But, you know, because I've been in the bartending industry for a while. So I've met a lot of people right. in like business and finance and those sorts of fields. And it's almost like that side of them doesn't exist at all. And there's nothing hmm. wrong with that. But it just always kind of struck me like, wait, what? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're not I like... A struggling artist deep down on the inside like what is this this is crazy mm-hmm. but I also don't often hear people who find that balance you know mm-hmm. who can have like a job right mm-hmm. one that they're not necessarily passionate about they might care about it but it's not their reason for living but they can also let their artistic side be expressed on their own I don't often hear that usually mm-hmm. the work outweighs their artistic side or they're miserable in their work because they're not being artistic all the time. That balance is really tricky to find. I mean, to be honest, as much as I may regret stating this this way, yeah. COVID has actually been a little positive for me because it's, it's given me a lot more work-life balance, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to travel to the office. I haven't been to the office since last March, right? How far um, was your commute? Wow. Okay. Uh, it was only about 25 minutes. Oh, <laughs> I'm in Jersey time, City. That's time. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I, I mean, I live in Jersey City and my office was in downtown, you know, financial district. Mm-hmm. All the way on like, uh, where was it? John, not John Street. I don't even remember Pine Street, right? Okay. It's been so long since I've been over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm going to be embarrassed if any of my coworkers listen. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so it was only about a 25-minute commute, you know, each way. Still, though, yeah, it was time. It was it was money, you know, it was a lot of things. And, and now I just have much more freedom. I, today, I signed off at exactly 5 o'clock, right? Like, it, it was almost like people would come over and bother me at my cubicle and ask me for things, and I would have to, I would feel compelled to stay later. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, there are times where I'll, well, I'll have to work late. You know, not everybody has the same situation that I have to be fair and I've been in this company for about a little over nine years now so I have a lot of flex I guess people understand what what I can do what I can't do and I've kind of carved out my boundaries my point is with COVID it's kind of freed me up there wasn't as much expectation to go out all the time I I love socializing I've been very social you know I would find myself choosing to go to a bar until like four in the morning on a yeah. on a Monday or Tuesday. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you, you may have seen me on some of those <laughs> nights. <laughs> but having more time where nobody had any expectations of me at all, I, I've been able to rebalance things, including refocusing on my creative pursuits. But I will say, though, during the normal, you know, pre-COVID, I did get frustrated at times with not having enough time. And I think uh, the, the photography stuff, right? I, I think yeah. I have a little bit of a sour taste because I didn't want to spend the little free time I felt I did have editing photos to the degree that people really expected. But but it was still frustrating because I would have loved to have the time and energy. It was more about energy than time, to be honest. I yeah. love to have the energy to, to learn how to do that and make that another skill of mine. But it was just something I didn't have the energy for at that time. And now I have so much more energy. I know things will get back to normal and eventually I'll start going back to the office more often. I have to be cognizant of that and and, and I will cross that bridge when it comes. But 
yeah, right now, my energy has been right now I'm thriving. Oh, I get it. And I, you, you've said you've listened to some of the other episodes, so you know that I, I've been thinking about this, but that whole concept of values, I feel like it can't, it kind of keeps coming up because mm-hmm. I, when COVID started, I was almost relieved. I felt like the world was sort of barreling to this burnout point, you know, for all the reasons you said, like, Mm -hmm. you know, between people's commutes and then the decompression after work and then maybe gathering yourself to either cook dinner or have dinner or go to the gym or whatever, you know, play with your kids. If you have kids, walk the dog, if you have a dog and then like trying to sculpt out this little bit of time for yourself to do whatever it is that makes you feel fulfilled or that your purpose is being fulfilled it was almost impossible, if not entirely impossible. And I was glad, no, I I shouldn't really use that word either, but I was glad that COVID happened because I was like, thank Mm -hmm. God. Like we need this time out. We need this pause. Like we can address all this shit that needs addressing, whether it's the flaws in the system or reassessing what really matters to us or how to better achieve a life that feels more balanced and more fulfilled. I would say some people did that work? But right. I wouldn't say that systemically or societally that has necessarily happened. Like, that's kind of mm-hmm. why I get angry when people say like, oh, let's just get back to normal. Because I'm like, but okay. what was normal? Normal wasn't working for so many people. And I'm not even just talking financially, emotionally, energetically. Like, all of those things really do take a toll, even more than like not having enough money. Because At the end of the day, yes, economic security, I think would solve a lot of issues, but also Mm -hmm. feeling fulfilled, knowing what your purpose is and having that time to really pursue it, I think makes people way less stressed out and way less depressed than they would be otherwise. So I'm glad that for everything that went wrong and and the tragedy that it was, that COVID was able to do that for you, because that was really what I was hoping that so many people would get out of it. Just because I think it, it it was something that either we didn't really necessarily want to address or we were distracted from or we didn't even have the time. For you right. in the corporate life, like, do you think it will go back to the way it was entirely or not so much? Absolutely not. But I will say that my particular company, and this is one of the reasons I've been there for over nine years, I mean, I, I do like their general work-life balance yeah. philosophy, right? Yeah. It, it is very strong and I've been in other companies before this one where it was not as strong. But yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to go back. It, right now, our target date is April 1st to start the slow mm-hmm. roll back to work. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the date personally. I don't know yeah. that for sure, but I think it's going to be later in the year. Uh, I, I do think that even when that happens, it's not going to be anywhere near what it was. I mean, if they've given us surveys to ask, you know, what would we want the most? Like I actually filmed out something that said, come back once a month. Like me personally, I would prefer never to go back to the office, to be honest, right. maybe once in a while, because I don't see any real, I mean, this was like a, a tabula rasa for me, you know, blank slate, right? This really made me assess all my relationships, every type of relationship, right? Yeah. Every single type of relationship. And I, I don't know that I need the same things I thought I needed yeah. back then, right? I don't need uh, my coworkers, you know, but I don't need to see them five times a week or four. I was, I was work, working in the office like three or four times a week. Once a week is fine. Once a month is fine. And yeah. I can still get the everything done and they can too. You know, yeah. and I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be much less time in the office. These companies are going to real, realize that they can save a lot of money on real estate oh, by yeah. reducing their footprint, moving a lot of people to remote work. Uh, it, it worked in our company. At least that's what we've been told that the experiment succeeded in the sense that 
we're just as productive as we were right. before, uh, even more so in some cases. Mm-hmm. I think that alone, right? Yeah. The fact that we've done good as, as employees, the company at large has done well for itself, despite everything going on, is going to just lead naturally to a significant change, right? A paradigm shift or whatever phrase you want to use. Right. Also, probably just because of, they can save money by not having as many, like I said, not as many people in group. So why not do that? I've heard conflicting opinions on this, maybe like 70, 30, like mm-hmm. 70% of people feeling the way you do, but then mm-hmm. 30% of people, and this I could understand really, because I'm like this. I can't separate like my home from other stuff. So if I was bringing my job home, I would have a lot of difficulty focusing and separating where my my workspace is versus where my home is. And, you know, some people, I mean, you've proved that you're very good at compartmentalizing. So it makes sense that you'd be able to separate. But I feel like a lot of people, they're not able to energetically separate their workspace from their home space. And so those are the people that are like, no, like, I want to get back to work. And I've had some customers who are just like, I miss being around my coworkers. I miss going out to drink every night. I mean, these are people who drink way too much in my opinion, but whatever. Right. Right. So (laughs) there are, there is a segment of the population who definitely feels that way. But I think what your company is doing is smart. Like they're asking you guys what you want, because I think Mm -hmm. that ultimately will be the the right way to approach it. hundred percent agree. I think flexibility is the key going forward, right? Because the corporate overlords, I'll just use that phrase. I think they're starting to realize that psychology is a major influence on how productive people can be. It's not a one size fits all thing, right? (laughs) I absolutely agree with you, right? That split exists where there, and I think your percentages match the kind of conversations I've had. I think it depends on industry. I think it depends very much on, on age groups, right? And I think family structure has a lot to do with it, at least through the conversations I've had. Because mm-hmm. I, I know, and I don't mean to cast any shade that's not intended in this comment. No, no, no not, not on actually. you at all. Let's go. Not on you at all. No, no. I think some people like to have a place to get away from their, you know, oh, yeah. spouses and, and children. And, and when you talk about compartmentalizing your home, that's increasingly difficult the more people are in your home. Let's put it that way, right? The more kids you have depending on their ages as well. Mm-hmm. That is difficult. I, I don't have that, right? I don't have that problem. I'm I'm just me. I'm here. Right. I'm, I'm here by myself. So for me, I don't have any distractions. Any distractions that I have are self-made problems, right? Like I have a lot of willpower. I can put those things aside and just not get distracted by the, those things. But yeah, for, for others, they have external distractions, right? I think having a workplace to go to for these people is, is an escape. And I, again, that's what I meant by not throwing shade, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking that way about, right. about a workplace. Yeah. That's not for me though. Like for me, yeah. I don't, I don't need to escape from anything. I can swivel my chair and turn on Netflix at five o'clock. I can, I've done that literally, but it's not for everybody. Your mom, you said she was really into astrology. Mm -hmm. So it's not something to be taken seriously necessarily, but like when it comes to my sign, like Gemini, there's two sides. The perfect example of it was Marilyn Monroe. And one of my favorite Mm -hmm. anecdotes about her she was out with a friend. I forget if the friend was a reporter or something. Marilyn, she was all kind of like she had like a scarf over her head and she was dressed very demurely. And Marilyn Monroe turns to the woman and she goes, well, do you want to see me become Marilyn? And mm. she's like, sure. 
it wasn't even like she did anything, right? But it was like she transformed, like her posture changed, her mannerisms changed, her whole face changed. And all of a sudden, people who were walking down the street that weren't even glancing at her started to turn and stare. And then like, all of a sudden, there was like this huge group of people around her, like asking for autographs. I'm not saying there's truth to it. But she was an example of somebody who definitely had two sides. And maybe we all do. But I just thought it was funny that she happened to be a Gemini. Of course, there's there's nuance to everything. And you know, she was an orphan. And she changed her name. And she became famous. She changed her hair. She definitely had a need to escape into her persona because her own life had been so difficult. So, of course, she would create this person to become logically. It totally makes sense. I I don't necessarily think it has to do with the stars. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny and and that's interesting, right? Because so the thing is, like, I I grew up like when I was much younger, like very, very young. I I think I was an introvert or at least I thought of myself as an introvert later. Like, not even at the time. I don't think I even knew the concept. Like, looking back on it, you mean? Yeah, exactly, right? I think I was an introvert um, because I would just not want to deal with anybody. I just wanted to be by myself and play my video games. didn't want to go out and play b-ball with the the neighborhood kids or anything like that. Like, I remember my neighbors, male and female, tried to hook me up with, you know, I mean, like mid-teens and stuff like that, tried to hook me up with other women in our social circle, like extended social circles. And I was like... Uh, you know, I was like, whatever. I, mean, I just wanted to be by myself and do my own thing. But then I feel like in college, it completely went in the opposite direction and huh. became like a complete extrovert. Yeah. I think I'm like an ambivert, you know what I mean? I, I, that's a term that I only came to know like within the last couple of years. I think I have my times where I just want the entire world to go away. And I have my times where I want to be immersed in in society and with, be with others and I draw a lot of energy from that M- maybe there's a duality in that I don't know you know yeah. but coming to find more and more people describing themselves that way maybe that's just more common and normal than, than we think I, I don't know it's still something I think about a lot at least everybody definitely does have a duality it's just a matter of what the ratio is yeah and yeah it's human nature to want to define yourself and identify who you are. Like, mm-hmm. I know I grew up doing stupid quizzes and magazines to figure out like what personality type I am, right? And, but it's almost like an affirmation. And there's something empowering about that. And so I think when it comes to like anything else, like being an extrovert versus being an introvert, you know, you just you wanted to know who you were now and I would say I'm seeing this in multiple aspects of of people's identities everything's kind of becoming more fluid I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's because people are becoming more empathetic just because we're realizing how hard life is for everybody so it's just kind of like you know what you don't want to be around people today I get it just be what you feel in the moment and be whatever feels true to you I think it's a much healthier way to approach life more just about like, no, like this is how I feel today. And that's how I'm going to live today. No, I agree. And I think, I think it's important to remember that other people are going through that and just be open to moving things around, like rescheduling things. If, if they feel like they're for, for people to ask for that, right. For, for them to ask for, Hey, I'm not in the best mood today. Let's, yeah. let's do this tomorrow. You know, how are you feeling today? You know, ask yeah. that question. Like you and I, we were scheduled to do this mm-hmm. on, I think it was Monday, you know, yeah. and I felt like today I would be in a better mood. And the truth is, I am not that I was in a going to be in a bad mood on Monday. 
I just felt that I would have more energy today. And I think that applies to any social interaction. And I think it's good to just be aware that people are going through that. Uh, it's all part of the human experience and might as well just give each other the right leeway to be their best selves and, you know, be your best self when you socialize and yeah. can't always have the most ideal situation. Right. I, I don't believe necessarily in putting things off for only the ideal moments in our lives. Right. You can't do that. Yeah. But to the extent that you can without going crazy and, trying to over-engineer all of your social engagements. I think it's good to to do things when you feel the best to do it. I definitely noticed that trend sort of happening before COVID, but I wonder if COVID exacerbated it, just people being more understanding and people giving themselves the leeway. It's okay to step back. It's okay that you're not feeling great today. Like, I don't know if that's related to COVID or if COVID sped it up just because going back to what I was saying before how I thought COVID would sort of give people a pause to to reassess what's important to them one of those things being you know your emotional health and it doesn't have to be this go 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 mentality all the time and if I don't show up it's the end of the world or if I don't feel like going I'm a terrible person there's more courage now and I also think there's more understanding that people are kind of going through that and it's okay. Precisely. I agree. It's an interesting development. I really hope it does continue on that trajectory because it's, I think it's one of the positives to come out of this whole period of our existence, Mm -hmm. more empathy and more understanding. What's more important to you, just embrace that. And whatever you feel like is your truth, just embrace that. Because ultimately that, that is what matters. It's not necessarily your job or, you know, all the other things that we were told before deserve importance. You brought up the word empathy. I was going to use that word myself. I, yeah. I think it's about having empathy for each other. And I think it's about, I think it's also fair to expect some of, of empathy from the people that we interact with too, right? So yeah. it comes back to the same thing about giving each other the right space and allowing each other to have the right mentality. And we're in a position now in, in the world where I, I don't really think that we're at bottom, but mm-hmm. I feel like we're at, a, at ground zero almost. Like, I don't think things are going to go back to normal. I share your perspective on that, right? Things are not going to go back to to normal using normal as an analog to how things were before COVID, right? right? right. Things are going to go back to a concept of normalcy, but it's going to be a new normal, right? Yeah. It's going to be something that society arrives at you know, maybe not even now, maybe 2022, 2020, whenever it is, right? At some point, we're going to uh, arrive at a new normal, uh, a new normal of socialization, a new way of humanly interacting with each other. It's going to kind of even out and we're, we're going to be a more empathetic society and we're going to be more aware of each other and what we need and yeah. uh, what we need from each other and what we need from ourselves too. I think there's probably been a tremendous amount of introspection that maybe people in the last few generations haven't really gone through, at least in our generation, hasn't really gone through. And that's probably significant. I think a lot of people don't really think about their own lives in, a, in that kind of way, in a philosophical way. And I think a lot of people have been presented with both an opportunity and, and maybe even a need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I was hoping for, that either people would take the time or they'd sort of be forced to undergo this examination, and that we would come out the better for it. I don't know how many people you interact with, um, since you're you're working remotely, but from people you talk to, do you do you get the sense that that's where their heads are at too? Majority of them are, right? A majority of them have really gone back to basics, really thought, what do I want out of life? What do I, what do I need? How should I interact with each other? What should I do myself? I definitely get the sense for some people, it's just a waiting game, but I yeah. think that's a, a significant minority, right? I think yeah. that people are just like, oh, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. 
times where I'm going to ignore COVID and just continue to socialize and do whatever I want to do. I, yeah, I, I think most people are, are really in that introspective mode and, and are really looking to, to get something out of it, right? Look for silver linings, turn all the negatives or, or you know, the social isolation into better life decisions, you know, better diets, things like that. I, I definitely think that that is where the, the direction it's tipped in the scales. I get very frustrated with people that I talk to who are the smaller percentage of the population that you said, you know, they're just kind of like waiting it out. They're doing whatever they want to do. They don't really care. They're just sort of like- They want to get back to normal, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I guess that's just sort of how it works throughout history with people, right? It's like you're always going to have this group of people that drags their feet. I just can't, I can't see myself living the same way I did before COVID, right? And I- I think even people that say they're going to go back to exactly the same thing and, and not let COVID affect them, which I think they, they interpret as strength of self maybe or integrity. And I, I, I can understand that perspective, but I don't agree with it. You know, and I don't necessarily agree that integrity means being a boulder in the road, for lack of a better analogy. I just can't see myself going back to the same, the same way of living. I mean, definitely there are things that are going to, that I'm going to engage in behaviors that I'm going to engage in. Oh, you know, yeah. when society reopens or COVID is, is significantly under management, like, I'm going to be honest, I, I'm really sad that I probably will not be able to go out all crazy like in a couple of weeks for St. Patty's Day. Yeah. Other than Christmas, my favorite holiday. I know that's terrible, mm-hmm. maybe, but I love it. I love how the city is. I've always, t- for like nine or maybe even more than nine years now, I've taken off St. Patty's Day and the day after. That's yeah. two vacation days. Totally worth it. <laughs> no matter what day of the week it is go out all day like from 10 a.m to whatever i can stay awake till and i always love it and i will miss that you know um this year and i missed it uh, last year but 2022 i can see myself re-engaging in that particular behavior do you have any ideas or even hopes of what society might look like on the other side of this? I talk a lot about empathy, right? And I consider myself an optimist. I try to temper that with realism when I can. But it's been hard. It's been a little challenging with the political situation to maintain a high level of optimism about our interpersonal reactions with each other, our societal entanglements. And I don't know. I don't know, Elena. Yeah, you have people who literally live in an alternate reality. And so it does make it difficult to to predict and to, to hope because you can't pull all those people along into your world and they can't do it to you. So I don't know. I'm hopeful that there are going to be people, like speaking of politics, people whose intentions are good and pure, as far as I can use that word, pure, <laughs> in terms of actually doing stuff that helps society and, and progresses society forward. There's right. definitely been a trend of, of people whose intents are, they're selfless, as opposed mm-hmm. to being driven by ego. And so those those people more and more are running for office. So you know, hopefully that will sort of continue to shift us in the right direction. But like you said, it just it's so difficult when we're in the political landscape that we're in. I, I don't know either. Because you could say, oh, well, I hope this happens. And I can imagine this happening. And like, you know, our lifestyle shifting in this direction. But if 50% of the population is living in a different reality than you, then <laughs> entering COVID, entering the current societal situation, and maybe this is the optimist in me, maybe it's naivety, I don't know. Really thought that we would come out the other side more cohesive, internally loving society, right? Yeah. Uh, loving is maybe the wrong word, but I think you understand what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. That was my, my hope and, 
And actually, not just my hope, but actually my belief. I really thought that was the direction we were going. Yeah. Now, I'm not so sure anymore, right? I worry a little bit about where we'll be at the end of all this. Um, and by the end of all this, I mean when the, the scales just tip towards people can go out without masks and you know right. feel very little risk. But I, I don't know what impetus there will be to, to get society back on that path. I feel like the number of people that don't want to be on that path is is too large, maybe, to to even get there. Saddening, COVID has really revealed a lot about American society, human society in general, but also the American psyche, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to feel like even some philosophies that were around in 1776 were maybe toxic and have carried forward in in a way that led us to where we are now. Right. I'm no politician. I'm no I'm no expert on political science. This is just a layman's perspective completely. Sure. I've watched Hamilton, so maybe that makes me a little <laughs> bit of an expert. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but other than that, I pretty much, you know, joking aside, I, I, I do worry, but I, I still hope, right? I still hope sure, that you have to hope. You know, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean I just I just hope that people will start to get on, on board. I'm not saying everybody has to agree with what I think or what no. the other side thinks. That's never going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. One side is never going to swallow up the other side. But I, I, And I'm trying very carefully not to insult anybody here because I understand perspectives can be born from many different things. You know, the, your, your environment, who you live yeah. with, your spouse, your family, the area you grew up in, your geography, right, your race, all of that helps formulate your current perspective on things. But I, I do hope that logic and reason and empathy will ultimately prevail and that we will get back on that path as a country and as individuals. I just don't know right now. You yeah. know, there are a lot of people who have had their opinions about COVID since the beginning. You know, I want to get back to my life. I miss my life. And they would say, like, I feel like nobody cares about me. I feel like nobody understands me and no one sees me and no one is like understanding how isolated and lonely I feel. It was crazy to me that they were saying this because I'm just like, okay, you don't think anybody understands how you feel? Like, how do you think basically everybody in this country feels like right now? They feel the exact same way that you do. It's interesting. One thing you said um, that these individuals have said that they feel like nobody understood them. I feel like that's a an ever present question for a lot of people. I oh, yeah. certainly have had yeah. that feeling. I, I don't think that's uh, relegated just to like the conservative perspective. I think everybody feels that some way, and I feel like that's been exacerbated by the social distancing, right? Because there is a a concept of or a feeling of isolation and mm-hmm. loneliness, and I think that depends on your family structure. That depends on your relationship status going into COVID. Depends on your personal sense of risk and, and safety as far as socializing goes. Like I know people that are highly active on, on Tinder and all that implies, you know, for quite some time going into COVID. And I know people that completely turtled in their homes. And, and I, I will be honest, I tended closer to the turtle than the Tinder. But, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I basically didn't even go out to like the grocery store like two month period around yeah. the holidays and yeah i mean you just get in your head to a point which is probably unhealthy at yeah. some point right like like a introspection is great but at some point introspection can really harm you i mean oh, you yeah. might delve into paranoia at, at mm-hmm. some point you know that brings those thoughts up about 
people not understanding you. And I think that crosses the entire political gamut. But yeah, I, I can understand how certain people with maybe unpopular opinions are feeling even less, even lonelier because even society is, is against them or other people have co-opted their message, right? I mean, I have issues with conservatism. Conservativism. Sure. Is it conservativism or conservatism? Never mind. Wait, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> the listeners will understand the yes. keyword. Oh, no, probably not. <laughs> Conservative something. I mean, I have issues with it fundamentally, right? And obviously a lot of what, what it stands for, I, I have significant issues with. I'm a hyper-liberal and everything that implies, right? But fair to give people their freedom to express themselves and oh, think yeah. what they think, you know? I'm not going to challenge everybody every second of every day. People are, are entitled to safe space, at least in their own head, right? And, and you know, able to think what they want to think. I, I don't necessarily think that means that their beliefs and shouldn't be challenged. I, I try to challenge my beliefs daily or from minute to minute, right? I mean, I, I try to not reject things that people say just because it doesn't fit with my ideals. I try to at least internalize them. And maybe I will eventually reject those ideals or, or ideas or, or statements, but you know, I like to process them first. Anyway, you know, I can understand why they would feel lonely right now because even more so perhaps because there does seem to be a, a huge backlash against that. And I feel like that's because of a, a very vocal and crazy minority within that's kind of co-opting that message or operating yeah. within that group. I, I've even gone to like our conservatives. And there, there's a lot of reasonable individuals oh, yeah. there. I don't agree with all the things they say, but there's a lot of reasonable perspectives. And, there's, and a lot of them are lambasting the loud, angry mob, the capital riot people. You, you know what I mean? The only reason it irritated me when people say, like, doesn't society understand what I'm going through? Don't you understand that everybody in society is also going through this? Like, you're not alone. If anything, mm -hmm. you're more part of this group than you ever were. It just makes me frustrated that they feel like, well, why is nobody paying attention to me? when everyone else is fucking going through the same shit that they are across the world. It's not even just here. I do think there are different personality archetypes, right? I just feel like when I hear that kind of thing, mm -hmm. I try not to think what they're saying comes from a point of ignorance about the societal condition that we're in right now. More yeah. just like a, a personal or an individualized psychological situation that they're going through right now. But I feel like you have a choice, right? Especially if you have a job and you don't necessarily have financial concerns, you have a choice of like what to do. If you're not happy with how you're feeling, what do you want to do about it? I know that's not easy, especially in a time where a lot of people, like you said, they don't leave their apartment for maybe months at a time or they have no social interaction or they really do feel lonely and crippled by that. It's hard for me to fully understand it because my happiness was never really drawn from my lifestyle. I didn't go out partying every night. I was usually working. <laughs> the joy that I found was never exclusively from my interactions with people. Sometimes it was, but oftentimes it wasn't. And so it wasn't necessarily something that I missed. And I, I, I do try and keep that in mind when, when people who are different from myself are upset that that's gone and it's still gone and they don't necessarily agree with the decision on behalf of the government that it is still gone. They think things should just open back up so they can regain some semblance of their happiness. But at the same time, it's just like, well, if you can't be happy in that way, what way can you be happy? 
what are other things that you can find that make you happy? It's it's hard if, if you draw most of that from social engagement. I, I mean, I can't answer this question for other people, but I feel like there's always going to be other stuff. It's interesting because I'm kind of almost a contradiction, at least the way that you've been describing, yeah. you know, because I really feel like I need that, right? I need that interaction. I, I, I'm kind of putting on a pause right now, right? And But I still think that it's going to sound so corny and I'm sorry, but the song will come out tomorrow is a thing I, I kind of always keep in the back of my head. Nothing is, and that's kind of like how I think about depression in general, right? And and I, I don't mean to speak for anybody that's clinically depressed. Like, obviously, I don't have that experience. And, and I, I don't want to diminish the, the way that they think. But whatever's going on today, there, there's an end date, not in the sense we're going to go back to exactly what there was, but there's going to be an end date for the crisis, right? And you're going to be able to go out and interact with people that are even kill with you about how they think about COVID. Right now, there's there's almost a dichotomy between people who don't want to interact with society. And I'm probably in that that camp mostly because I am worried about contracting and maybe dying from COVID. Like, I just don't feel like the risk is worth the reward. Mm -hmm. But there's another camp that feels like either the risk is worth the reward or they're in a group where they can just go out or they feel like, screw these over-regulations, we should just reopen and let the chips fall where they may. But at some point, those two groups are, are, I think, going to come together. The group that's really worried right now, they're going to become less and less worried. And I think the group that just wants everything to reopen, things are going to start to reopen slowly. So there's going to be a gradient in both directions towards the middle, that's the day that will come. That's how I try to think about it. Maybe not literally tomorrow, but months from now, a year from now, there's going to be sunlight again. I'm going to wrap us up with a couple more questions. What are the things in your life that bring you joy? And what are the things in your life that make you feel like you are making your presence on this earth worthwhile? All right. So the first question, I'm going to actually say other people really make me happy, right? Mm. And, and maybe that's not the best way to think. You know, I, I, w- I wish I, I don't, I don't not value myself. I do, but I, I just like social interaction. It goes back into what I said about photography. I really like drawing out aspects of individuals. Mm-hmm. I like socializing with people. I really like that. Right. Yeah. And also obviously a very well cooked steak. That's, that's <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of joy. I mean, I'm not being facetious. Yeah. I love that experience. You know, I love the the ambiance, the smell. But I, you know, I like walking around in the city too and just kind of taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, what was the second question again? Remind me. What are the things that you're doing or you've done that make you feel like your presence on this earth matters, you know, makes <laughs> you feel like this is why you're here? So that's a very, obviously a very deep philosophical yeah. question, right? And I've yeah. thought about that personally a lot. Yeah. I don't know that I have an answer. Mm-hmm. I would say that I don't know that it matters if it matters. Mm-hmm. For me, I think there's an intrinsic va- value to life. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, you're probably going to laugh at this example, but I was a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer way back when. No, but it's a solid show. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. Despite all the Joss Whedon controversy going yeah. on right now, which is very sad to me and, and frustrating. But um, the musical episode, and I think season six, Mm-hmm. Uh, once more with feeling I love that episode mm. um, I, I am a fan of musical theater I used to do musical theater back in high school and I, I'm just a huge fan anyway so <laughs> there's something that Spike that that character says to Buffy right when she's going through her I'm, I don't want to spoil the show for any of your listeners but he makes this phrase life is just this life is just living right and I, I, I've kind of internalized that and I yeah. feel like life I, I, I really do intrinsically believe and I don't know if I can explain why I believe it 
but I do feel like life is worth living for itself, right? I don't know that I have any external holistic or cosmic feeling about what worth life has, you know, other than that. When I do feel like personally, I do feel very strongly about empathy and uplifting your fellow man and woman. And I feel like doing the best for each other is what I derive purpose from. My purpose, if I have one, is interpersonal betterment of each other. And I, I fail at this sometimes. I don't always do the best. I don't always succeed in this. I've, I've certainly snapped at people and, and done things that I, I'm not uh, proud Same. of. You know, and things <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. We yeah. all do. That's, that's a part of human socializing. But I think this actually ties back into what I said about writing, right? I want to share with people. I want to uplift people. I want to make people's lives better. I don't have a specific way of doing that or a method of yeah. doing that. Certainly nothing holistic, but I think our interaction with each other is extremely important. I think that's all we have. Like I, I don't, you know, a lot of people believe in the afterlife and you know, I'm agnostic and believe in certain mor morality and I don't know what I believe. I literally don't know at this point. I'm, I'm open to a lot of different possibilities, but life is intrinsically worth living. And the more we can do for our fellow man, because that is what we can see and feel. That's what's in our domain. That's what's tangible. Mm -hmm. Like, Eleni, you're, you're here through my laptop video, right? <laughs> um, but we're interacting, right? And if I could uplift you in some way, like this conversation has uplifted me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have had this conversation, have this opportunity to share these thoughts. And I'm happy to hear yours and Every single moment that we interact with people is a moment where we can go one way or the other, positive mm -hmm. or negative, in, in some way. I, I just want to choose the positives whenever I can. And I think making lives better for each other is, is a good goal. Yeah, you know, a lot of times I get frustrated. Either I'm getting older or it's just whatever society going the direction it's going. I get mad when people aren't considerate. I get mad when people are rude. It takes zero effort to not be an asshole. Just do it. It doesn't cost anything, but you phrased it in a way that's much nicer. <laughs> Phrase it in my head. <laughs> but I totally like, understand what you mean. I, I like thinking of it that way. It's that you can make this choice to have a positive impact on people around you and whatever other baggage you might bring to an interaction, it doesn't even matter. It's just about the interaction and trying to make it as positive as you can. And that's a, it's a wonderful thought. I love that. I'm going to try and keep that in mind for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to think the little things do matter, right? I'm trying to at least learn, maybe not in the moment. Sometimes I'll think back on things that I did or things that I said, and I'll, I'll try to use it as a teachable moment for myself. I do think the little things do matter. It's almost like legal terms, felonies versus misdemeanors. It's like those little misdemeanors, those things yeah. that, that we do to each other socially or in conversation or whatever, really does matter. Like, what's the purpose of being mean to somebody when you don't need to be, right? Yeah. Like, I had a recent interaction with a coworker. That individual tried to throw me under the bus. I thought about him later in this context. And I'm like, why did he feel the need to communicate in that way? There really wasn't any particular need that I could see. Like, he could still communicate the same concept. If he, if he erroneously thought that I did something wrong, he mm -hmm. could have come to me in a more collaborative way. You can yeah. disagree with somebody in a collaborative way, in a constructive way. I wish people would do that. I try to live my life like that. Maybe I'm not even making a dent, but I think that's all we can do collectively anyway. It's like when people say, you know, why, why vote? Your vote doesn't matter. It does, though. Every single individual matters because that's how society operates. You know, if you make that decision, we just give up and say, my vote doesn't matter. My personality doesn't matter. Then, yeah, society is just going to be a cesspool of negativity. But, you know, if you operate in reality under the understanding that, 
yes, everything you do and say does matter, then I just think society at large will also, or holistically will also be uplifted. And I think it'll be a more positive place for everybody. You know, I probably sound naive, but I mean, that's just, I just try to live my life that way. And I can only hope that other people will do that too.